You're listening to High Pitch, the American Health Information Management Association podcast, produced weekly for HEMA's members and healthcare professionals everywhere. Listen in as we explore the hot topics and news items affecting the industry and you. Hello, and welcome to the HEMA High Pitch podcast. This is the latest in our series of podcasts looking at the COVID-19 pandemic from a healthcare information perspective, sharing thoughts, experiences, and inspiration from healthcare information professionals, healthcare providers, and others from around the world. Today, we're speaking with two HI experts, Ms. Stacey Booth, a director of coding education, DRG validation, and appeals, as well as an AHIMA-approved ICD-10 trainer and revenue cycle trainer, and Ms. Catherine Vermillion, a director of clinical documentation improvement and an AHIMA-approved CDI trainer. They're here to talk about the pandemic, how it's affected their organizations, and what they're doing to combat the disease. Welcome to the show, Catherine and Stacey. Thank you. Happy to be Thank here. Thank you. Uh, so let's start with the first question. How has the COVID-19 crisis affected your roles? This is Stacy. I will share first. So I think the most important point to note is we have our role that we're already filling, and then we also have roles um, related to COVID. So some additional things that we are doing that we maybe weren't doing before. We're obviously having a lot of meetings to talk about COVID and COVID planning, what that means for our staff, what that means for staff in other departments, what that means for clients. Um, So there are multiple calls per day to discuss those types of topics. Uh, The other thing that we're doing is we're trying to do some tracking and trending to help our clients. So tracking and trending across clients across the country, just from data that we're seeing on governmental websites and things like that. And then also providing education specific to COVID-19. So we we typically provide education to all of our clients, but this is um, a little more intense and a little more focused than previously. And this is Katie. And I think, you know, talking with you now, we're actually, the company that we work for is an entity that supports revenue cycle services throughout the industry. So we we work for a lot of different hospitals throughout the U.S., um, a lot of different ways that we help support these organizations. And going into the preparations that we're seeing with our clients is ensuring that, you know, we're showing communication, we're showing, um, you know, support to them, whatever they need, um, you know, with the loss of revenue, with elective surgeries and things going on you know, how can we help them support them? So we're doing extensive research. We're doing extensive data analysis. You know, how can we showcase, how do we emphasize, you know, making sure everything's going out the door when it needs so the finances are there for the hospitals to run. We're also, um, as Stacy mentioned, we're doing specialized meetings. Um, we're sh- ensuring all of our staff are educated. You know, all the coronavirus updates through the various different entities. You know, we're getting daily updates, ensuring we have the most accurate information, and we're communicating that to all of our staff, all of our clients, um, whatever we can do to make sure that we're doing what we need to to help support the facilities at this point. We're also looking at specialized workflows. So, you know, on top of our normal jobs, you know, how can we make this um, more efficient for our staff? So we're really seeing these accounts, we're making sure they're documented appropriately, and we're making sure the positive and negative test results are coming in and they're on the right encounter and making sure they're in that time frame. So when we bill, it's already there as well. Have you both uh, had instances of dealing with the pandemic in your work? How have you encountered it? 
encounters that I have personally faced being um, dealing with people during this pandemic. From a coding perspective, we are educating our clients on a lot of different uh, questions that they have had. So these questions, it's not like you can go out on a website and find a lot of these answers. CMS, CDC have provided some updates, but there's still a lot of questions about very specific scenarios. For example, a patient comes in with an MI and tests positive for COVID. What do you do? A person fell and broke their hip and, they, and they're in the hospital having surgery and they test positive for COVID. What do those different types of scenarios look like from a coding perspective? Um, so those are a lot of the things that we're dealing with, um, questions that aren't necessarily published or wild, widely known or easily um, available to find just by, you know, a quick online search. Yeah, this is Katie. As Stacey mentioned, with like the different education asks from our clients, um, from a CDS perspective, we're actually getting a lot of questions from our facility hospital leadership, our physicians. Um, we've been asked to do specialized presentations, tip sheets, tip cards. And what we found is, you know, there's just a lot of literature out there, um, a lot of different signs and symptoms people keep reporting out. You know, we know the true ones, like the true, hard true ones with like the blue looking ones, you know, the fever, the cough. However, you know, we're also getting different variety of things being reported out. They're also wondering about coding. You know, what do I need to code? What do I need to document? How do I make sure I'm doing what I can for, you know, the patient and what you need for um, recording wise and documentation? So, you know, we've put in a lot of um, time in to put tip sheets out, make sure they're provider friendly. Um, we've also are preparing for education for physicians that may have never even worked in an inpatient environment that maybe are from the office or from a different sector of healthcare. And we're training, um, putting different webinars together and education on how they need to document in an inpatient setting in case the search happens and being prepared um, for they're ready to come back to the hospital help. Can you uh, describe uh, where you work, your organization, and how's the pandemic impacted it? The, the company that we work for is called Ensemble Health Partners. And what we are is a revenue cycle company. So we help um, hospitals and physician offices manage their revenue cycle. Uh, the area that I am in specifically is DRG validation, appeals, and coding education. So appeals is on the coding side specifically, writing letters, when the insurance companies deny different services on the inpatient and outpatient side. The second part of that is DRG validation. So what we're doing is reviewing accounts to make sure that the DRG is correct. Um, so how all of that plays into COVID-19 is we've um, put a larger focus on looking at accounts that are potentially COVID-19. So we've done some analytics. We have um, modeling and um, rules in our system. And so those rules can help us get accounts that we feel would, would be most likely to be a COVID patient and potentially coded incorrectly. We're trying to also ramp up the speed at which we're doing those. So we're actually looking at accounts faster in order to be able to get them back to the client 
um, in a quicker time frame. So their reporting is accurate. Um, the other thing that that we have had to do in our organization is disaster planning. So that's obviously not a typical day-to-day function, but we've done a lot of disaster planning. One thing that is involved in that disaster planning is being able to cross-train employees. So I have appeal staff and I have auditors. So we're trying to cross-train the auditors and the appeal staff. We also have coders in other departments and CDI Um, And we're trying to cross-train them into those functions as well. That way, if we see volume decreases, instead of um, having to talk about, you know, what we do with these employees because of the volume decreases, we're able to repurpose them for other things. So our organization is Ensemble Health Partner. So we do offer front, middle, back end um, revenue cycle. But we also have two main sites that have thousands of employees, but then we also have staff in each organization and each facility at our hospitals that we serve. So as we kind of met with um, the whole COVID and seeing that in practice, you know, notoriously, most of our staffing force has been on site somewhere. So as the different regulations came out, we've had to max exodus a lot of our associates to work from home. So as Stacy mentioned, her on my staff, we're HIM. We were already, most of our staff either work remote or are, are hybrid. So we worked on-site and remote. So it was an easier transition for us. And a lot of what we already had set up was actually ended up being copied from some of our um, other leaders in order to send their staff home to ensure productivity, ensure that we can continue the work we need to from a home environment and safe and off-campus. Do you envision a long-term change to your practice as a result of COVID-19? I do feel that there will be some significant long-term changes, not only for our company, but just for the industry and a lot of industries in general. A lot of places that did not previously have work from home staff, I would imagine they're going to analyze what work from home looks like. They're going to look at the employee types that are more productive. We've already had those discussions um, internally. And, uh, you know, if people are equally productive at home as they are in the office, then that's um, a discussion for once all of this is over. The other thing that I feel is going to be a long-term change for our organization and probably many others is those relationships. When you have to work from home, you do have to spend more time on the phone, talking to different people, collaborating a little bit more. People sometimes think that that's not how it works at home, but it really is. We're on the phone a lot more than we would be talking to people if we were in the office. So we're actually building really good relationships with a lot of clients that we may not have have had conversations with as much, or maybe even employees that we may not have had conversations with as much because we're having so many meetings and so many discussions where we're trying to help each other to solve a very serious problem. So that's going to build that relationship as well. And then we and everyone else, I assume, are going to be better prepared. We already had a lot of things in place before, but we've had to, to put some things together for the for emergency preparedness that we maybe wouldn't have had to have done before. So when something like this comes up again, we'll at least have some of that in place. And then the other thing is the whole work from home 
and teaching employees how to be successful in that home environment or in, in an environment where they're actually being cross-trained. So a lot of that stuff, you know, we had on our plate, we wanted to do, and we just never had the time to do it. And now here is, you know, we, we have to take this as an opportunity to be able to do something very, really good. And um, I think this, that is definitely one area, one dream that a lot of companies have, and now it can actually um, be put in place. So as far as long-term change to our practice as a result of COVID-19, I would say our focus on daily productivity and predicted volumes um, to ensure that we're being efficient and, you know, making sure we're, we have the work that needs to be covered. So with low census came with being overstaffed. So a part of that is what can we do with our staffing and how do we, you know, ensure that we can provide work for these associates? You know, there's a lot of facilities out there are looking at furloughing, but our, our organization, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. You know, I think we didn't really realize how many silos that we had communicate and we collaborate, but we really don't know what each role kind of does. So what we found is, you know, cross-training some of our staff, building those relationships with each other, you know, it enabled us to transfer some of our excess staff into a different department that was short-staffed in order to keep them hired on and keep give them things to work so we continue on and providing the care and uh, work needed for each client in each hospital. I think another thing that we're going to see that continues as a result of this is, you know, being able to staff based on productivity. We're actually tracking productivity on a daily basis uh, as far as volume. We're also checking DMI on a weekly basis. Usually we don't do that and we don't see that that closely, but because of this, we're able to see what is necessary for our staff? What do we need to do as far as in order to keep, get the work complete and done? Um, and for us, it actually helps us staff to volume. And so if we have a new client coming on or if we have something else that we know is going to happen, um, we, we'll be able to be more efficient and we'll be able to train the staff and allocate the staff that we needed to whatever department is needed. So finally, looking at the big picture, uh, what are the lessons learned from the crisis that you'd like to share with other people? So I, I think lesson number one um, for everybody is we can only control certain things and we can't let ourselves get nervous or lose productivity or not be able to focus because of everything that's going on around us. We, we still have a job to do and we have to find a way even though we're at home and our kid is on a Zoom meeting and our three-year-old is screaming in the other room and the dogs are going crazy. I know a lot of people are going through that right now. We have to get ourselves in the mindset of this is work, there's a job to be done, and it's focus time. Um, so just not letting all of, all of those distractions, not just in our house but in the world, get in the way of us, of us being able to get that done. I would say that's lesson number one for everyone. The second lesson I think is always be ready for change. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. So we need to be ready for any change that might come our way. It might be something that we've never done before and we're going to learn it and we're going to do an amazing job. Um, everybody, everybody has that capability. Um, and we've, we've had to do that every day. I think for, for the last month or so. Um, 
So go with the flow. Um, and then the last lesson that I would recommend is before something like this happens every day, be prepared and be organized. The, or, the more prepared you are and the more organized you are with your work, especially if you're managing others, um, the easier it is to turn around data and to be able to report anything that might be asked of you. Um, any fast um, response that you might have to make, the more prepared, the more organized you are, the easier that's going to be. And you're not going to be scrambling at the last minute. Mrs. Katie, I would probably echo a lot of what Stacy mentioned. Um, I'm sure there's a variety of listeners that have seen the Facebook uh, adults when people are working from home, as far as, you know, if your camera's on and the webcams, um, no one's safe from that. So it's definitely double checking. Most of our staff that we already had working from home or hybrid had already realized that, but for those newer associates that have never worked from home before, we had to transition fast. You know, a lot of the different regulations that we had in place was ensuring that you have an environment that, you know, is in a secure location, you know, based on HIPAA guidelines. You know, people have to take pictures, ensuring they're in a room, specific room, that they have everything set up that they need to be. You know, a lot of that was kind of waved away because we needed to have a large amount of people to be at home. So providing education um, to the staff, expectations, you know, they don't have their leader on site kind of making sure they're doing what they're doing. Um, when you're at home and you're not used to being at home, you know, you're looking at different things around you that, you know, may be distracting, you know, especially if you have your family home, you have your kids home. You know, there's different things and tips and tricks that we've had to create for some of these staff to ensure that they are productive while they're working from home. I think some also lessons learned is ensuring you have the right internet connection. So a lot of people thought they had the best connection. You know, they worked from home before, but, you know, working with like all these people and being home with their family and everyone's on their iPads you realize, oh, I probably don't have the strength of bandwidth that I need in order to do my work. So I think we're seeing a lot of that. Also lessons learned, you know, looking at structure and organization, knowing where your staff are, knowing what their strengths are, and making sure you're communicating frequently, if not on a daily basis, at least every other day, to ensure that you're in touch, you know what's going on, and, you know, they feel comfortable in coming with you with any problems. Once again, we are speaking with Ms. Stacy Booth and Ms. Catherine Vermillion of Ensemble Health Partners. Thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the second part of our podcast about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting various healthcare professionals serving in the healthcare information field. My next guest is Autumn Ryder and a HEMA certified CDI trainer. Ms. Ryder began her nursing career in the intensive care unit, later working in labor and delivery and serving as a school nurse. She transitioned into clinical documentation nine years ago and clinical documentation specialist clinical coordinator roles before arriving at Trust HCS, where she is now the director of CDI services. Welcome to the show, Autumn. Thank you. Uh, could we start with uh, maybe I read your bio. Can you share a little more about your background and your current role? 
Sure, definitely. Um, I started out my nursing career in narrow ICU, you know, right from a new grad uh, was in that ICU. And so uh, a lot of what's going on right now. When I transitioned into CDI, I found that kind of on a whim, I was looking for a part-time job um, after coming off of maternity leave and applied for the position knowing very little about DRGs and payment and what the CDI and HIM world really looked like, but quickly fell in love with it. Um, became coordinator of my program in Chesapeake, Virginia, and transitioned over to trust. And from there, I did concurrent staffing, auditing, and worked my way up into the director role. And how has the uh, current pandemic uh, affected your role? I mean, have you seen any changes in what you've been doing? Um, you know, not so much from a director role, but um, from the staffing component, obviously, a lot of the hospitals that we service um, are very low census right now, um, just due to the fact that they're trying to make sure that elective surgeries have been stopped. They're not bringing in uh, the typical patients in order to make room for potential COVID-19 cases. So it's taken um, on a different role, directing my staff and how to utilize them in different opportunities, um, and, and also working with our clients to make sure that they're serviced to the best of our ability, but they're also taking on changes on-site as well. And how has COVID-19 affected the way you perform your job? So obviously there's been um, quite a few coding changes. Obviously when COVID-19 started, um, we didn't have a specific code for that. So really ensuring that um, my current CDI staff and auditing team understood how to correctly demonstrate and capture um, what was going on with the patient. And then as April 1st, when we were given the specific codes for COVID-19, really making sure that that uh, education was brought out to them using, you know, HEMA resources and ACTUS resources and providing all that information to accurately depict what was going on with those patients. You know, that is our role as CDI is to make sure that those codes demonstrate everything and truly paint the picture. And so we've uh, devised different query templates that we're using provide weekly updates and education to the staff just to make sure that we're in touch with the most recent information that's being put out. And bigger picture, how has uh, the pandemic impacted your organization? So obviously um, with the changes in census, a lot of our hospitals have been low census. They are trying to keep obviously people out of facilities that don't need to be there for the risk of them contracting COVID-19 and also keeping those beds open. So the CDI reviews have been different. I think they have been um, decreased in some avenues, but also the intricacy that we're looking at things becomes quite essential at this point because for the charts that are in the uh, facilities that we're helping review for, we want them to be as accurate and efficient as possible. And so really drilling down and making sure that we're capturing all of the information for those patients um, has truly been our focus. Not that it wasn't before, but we're having um, some additional time to spend and really review those charts in, in further detail. In the first part of this interview, when I was speaking to Stacy and Catherine, uh, we were talking about the future and um, long-term changes. I mean, how do you think the pandemic is going to affect your practice? Um, what thing, well, I guess what changes do you think will be coming, uh, new legislation, whatever you want to discuss? I definitely think that changes are coming from an overall CDI and HIM perspective. I think this has been an eye-opening experience for us all. Uh, from a CDI perspective, I, you know, one of the things that we've really questioned on our end is those chronic condition patients that we normally 
you know, so frequently see being admitted to the hospitals, people with CHF exacerbations, COPD exacerbations, they're not at the hospital. So we're wondering how are those being handled? And in turn, we've, you know, talked about a few different scenarios or hypotheses, if you will. Um, but I think one of them is that, you know, normally where primary care providers would send someone to an ED, and then in turn, those patients were likely being admitted. I think that they're trying to care for them telehealth in other ways to keep them obviously away from uh, facilities where they think that this is a definitely highly susceptible population to catching COVID-19. So what do I think that looks like for CDI? I think that some of our concentration after this may be in, you know, even more in that outpatient arena, trying to figure out how we can use telehealth visits to capture chronic conditions, really looking at, you know, does this patient need to be admitted or can they be taken care of at home? And in turn, you know, for those HCC clients that we're working with, what does that look like for them? Can we capture things, again, in that telehealth field? Do they need to bring patients in all the time? Or can we utilize new technologies to take care of our patients just as efficiently, but not expose them to potentially other problems that would just exacerbate their chronic condition? So I think that CDI will be looking at many different avenues. I think that when this kind of settles, so to speak, that we'll definitely be back in the hospitals, making sure that the patients that are there are really, you know, their stories are truly told. There may be chronic conditions that come out of this. They're not sure if, you know, there's lung issues that are going to stay. And we may see a whole new population of people that have had uh, the COVID-19 virus and what that is going to look like. Uh, maybe we'll have increased in COPD exacerbations and things like that, just because they'll become another chronic condition population that we have to deal with. So I think this has just been a really an eye-opening experience for us trying to figure out where our chronic disease population patients are. Um, you know, why aren't the exacerbations being put into the facility? So I think it's going to, you know, come in many different ways how our practice changes. But you know, should this person have been admitted? Where do we capture information if they're not being admitted? Um, and what is that going to look like for hospital CDI programs? Are we going to transition more into uh, primary care providers and observation settings to collect the data? But again, it's all just going to be about accurately depicting that patient's risk and what is going on with them. So no matter what arena we're capturing the data in, our job is still going to be the same. It's just going to be where are we capturing the data from? Now, clearly, I mean, we've got a while. We're still in the midst of the pandemic. But so far, have there been any lessons you've learned from the crisis that you'd like to share, advice you can give to others that might help them? Things that we've learned. Adaptability. We have to be fluid in our practice that what we once thought was normal um, is probably not going to be our new normal. Uh, I think life as we know it in the healthcare setting and as a nation is going to be very different. I think we have to learn to be better prepared to take on these obstacles. Um, you know, I'm not in the facilities and I'm not seeing patients, but we as a country need to prepare our healthcare providers so they can do their job to the best of their ability. And obviously, we've seen that there's areas of opportunity for us to grow. Uh, I think one of the things that has hit me hard is we watch the TV, we see the numbers grow every day for deaths and positive cases. 
when I was just watching those numbers grow until I had uh, an employee who called me last week who said that her mother-in-law had um, passed away from COVID-19. They did not get to say goodbye. She was in a nursing home. She was by herself. And so those numbers then took on a completely different meaning to me personally, because now I knew of what one of those numbers were. It just wasn't like they kept adding and adding. I knew someone who had personally been affected by this. So I think, you know, again, we need to grow as a nation. We need to figure out what our new normal will look like, whether that's in the HIM arena and CDI taking care of our patient populations. But I think what we once thought was normal is not ever going to be our normal again, because we need to prepare for situations like this. And we now see how integral our healthcare is really to the entire nation and how when it's bombarded and it doesn't function exactly how it's supposed to be, how it can shut everything down. And I always like to close out an interview with this question. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I had asked? Um, I think really one of the questions that we need to look at again is how is this going to change our HIM world? And, you know, I, I see things from a CDI world and I know that it's affecting coding, but I also would be very interested into what other CDI teams are seeing across the nation. Do we need to come together as a group? Would it be beneficial for CDI leaders to meet and come to some kind of consensus in what we need to do to make our programs extremely strong? AHIMA and ACTUS and I think other organizations like that would be a great place to promote that coming together of the minds. Is there something that we can do, even though a lot of us are not hands-on medical professionals anymore, but something that we can do to really promote that accuracy and to help the healthcare team in totality? Because obviously all of us have that same vision in mind. It's taking care of our patients, whether it's the documentation, the coding component, or that hands-on that is so essential at this point. You know, but how do we come together as a group and make sure that we're all on the same page and doing what we need to do? Once again, our guest was Ms. Autumn Ryder, who is the Director of CDI Services at Trust HCS. I want to thank her and Catherine Vermillion and Stacey Booth for speaking with us today. And thank you, Autumn. Thank you. series of shows on health information management in the COVID-19 pandemic with a discussion about clinical documentation integrity, or CDI. Our guests today are Beth Martin and Cheryl Erickson, two CDI professionals with a wealth of experience. Welcome to the show, Beth and Cheryl. Thank you. Glad to be here. Let's uh, open up with questions about you, your backgrounds, and where you work. Can you each tell me a little bit about yourselves? Uh, yeah, my name is Cheryl Erickson, and I've been a clinical documentation improvement professional for um, more years than I'd like to recall. I've been a manager at an academic medical center over a CDI department. I've worked in consulting. I was an education director for uh, HC Pro, and currently I work for a technology company. So I have a lot of experience in the CDI realm as far as um, looking at it from a variety of different perspectives. I've also been lucky enough to be part of the CDI Practice Council and contributed to several different AHIMA practice briefs. Hi, Dan. Um, it's Beth Martin. Thank you for having me. 
I um, have a background in coding, um, initially outpatient coding, and transferred um, my expertise into a CDI background for educating providers. I currently work in it for an artificial intelligence company, and just you know, grateful to be here. And and I, in my spare time, I am a, a coding instructor for CPC outpatient coding. First question, how has the COVID-19 crisis affected your role in the healthcare industry? I think one of the best things about being a CDI professional is our ability to adapt. And so um, because I work with clients across the country, I've seen a variety of responses. One is some CDI staff are being sent home so that they're working remotely, and that might be a new experience for them, while other may have worked remotely for one or two days a week. It's certainly a change in communicating with physicians and There's worries about whether or not you're going to retain your query agreement rate or your query response rates and different things like that when you're working remotely. I think the other thing, too, is in this COVID-19 environment, there's the concern that if you have a clinical background, you might be pulled in different directions. I've spoken with clients who have um, had partial, they're not really calling them layoffs, but they may have a reduction in hours. So they may be working 60% instead of full-time. Um, there may be other responsibilities that they're, they're employing at this point in time in order to stay busy. I think, though, the biggest thing that we can take away from this is that we have to be able to adapt and continue to educate ourselves. Uh, It was very last minute when we got the changes of how we're going to be reporting COVID, how we sequence COVID in response to other conditions, because usually they're going to present with pneumonia or respiratory symptoms that could be acute respiratory failure that could lead to ARDS. So really just getting the resources that we need and making sure that we have them available is an important part of it wherever we're doing our work. And that seems to be one of the biggest challenges is getting that consistency of where are we working? Do we have what we need to do our jobs? And does the organization we work for continue to value what we bring from a CDI perspective? So those are some of the biggest challenges that that I've seen. And I'll second that, Cheryl. Um, And what we're seeing on our end in artificial intelligence is a lot more of um, COVID-19 provider education, being able to provide provider assistance documentation tools for specificity to help reduce uh, queries. And in the absence or um, with the transition right now, as Cheryl stated, for a lot of the CDI nurses who may have to go back and provide bedside assistance, we have computer um assisted technology that is able to help with the CDI for, you know, help with that low-hanging fruit in the CDI department if um, if and when those uh, CDI individuals have to be pulled back into the healthcare field. So a lot of education around specificity of documentation, documentation improvement, providers being more interested in documenting fully during this time since there there's a lot of uncertainty and and um, we're pushing a lot of the CMS guidelines, CDC guidelines, um, and being able to provide that documentation out there to the providers in absence of CDI individuals being in, in their roles during this time, not just to support the providers, but also to support the CDI progress and to try to continue on with that progress even during this transition. 
Yeah, I think Beth brings up a really important uh, point, and that's if organizations feel that they're able to maintain what they've been doing with fewer CDI professionals, how can that impact the profession long term? So it's really important that we continue to add value where we can. And I think that's, again, why CDI is, is so important in their versatility of being able to adapt to situations so that how do you educate remotely? How do you prioritize um, what are those important queries or information or education? point so that we're not wasting time when everybody is just so overwhelmed right now if they're seeing a high prevalence of COVID patients. In terms of your daily practice, uh, what has the pandemic changed? Uh, how will it change your future practices and uh, in what ways? So daily practices, um, working remotely has its own challenges. One of the things is how do you coordinate with your other staff? Um, luckily, because I work in an artificial intelligent environment and tech, CDI technology, that, that work list, knowing who you're working on, knowing who that next case is really important because we see a dichotomy of things going on. You've got those places in New York City and New York, and then you've also got the other hotspots in Michigan and um, places like that where the CDIs, it's covid all day, all night, you know, 24-7. But then you have other organizations that don't have any elective surgeries at this point. Um, traumas are down because people are staying home. A lot of those other things with that they were working on aren't there. And so it's kind of uh, uh, preparing themselves and educating themselves and waiting for that curve to start hitting their organization. So because of that, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all right now. Um, and I guess that's also why we're seeing some organizations that are maybe cutting hours and redeploying CDI staff to other roles, while we have other organizations that are sending them home and having them doing business as usual. So the day-to-day -day can vary depending on how much your organization is being affected by that. Regardless of how much your organization's being affected, it's still important to make sure that you have your work list, you know what patients you should see, when you should see them, and then if you have any kind of resources that can help you prioritize those COVID patients, that's probably helpful as well because we know that that's a priority right now, and we know those patients have a very high mortality rate. So the sooner that we can identify them and make sure that we're on top of the documentation requirements around COVID, as well as the complications associated with COVID, I think the better job we can represent that population. The exciting thing about CDI is this has long-term public health implications as well, because the better data we have, the more we'll understand this disease, which is a relatively new disease, and we don't have a long history with it. So the better data we have, the better data analytics we're going to have, and hopefully in the future, that'll help us provide better care when this condition re-arises. Definitely some great points there, Cheryl. Um, and I just want to add on to what Cheryl is saying as far as um, how the pandemic has changed what, you know, our future practice and even what we're doing now. We've always had a white glove treatment where with providing provider education and being able to work closely with providers one-on-one -on -one, um, in an elbow-to-elbow -elbow support in their environment, the pandemic has definitely changed the way that we do that with being able to work with providers virtually. And, um, and, and I think in the future, we'll continue to work with providers virtually. Um, it also helps us to still be able to provide that education um, and, and so continue to support providers while they're out there on the front staff and, and um, on the front lines, as well as staff that are out there on the front lines with um, artificial intelligence and ways that they can still utilize the um, artificial intelligence while um, seeing patients. And we're still here to support them, even though we're not there providing that elbow support. 
Those are all great points, um, Beth. And I think the long term still remains to be seen. I, I think there's going to be some organizations that better understand the importance of clinical documentation improvement and what it can bring to their organization and maybe invest more heavily in supporting their CDI staff with technology and other resources that sometimes the CDI professionals are the last to get, where other organizations, they may shift their priorities in other directions. Again, it's always that concern is if they're if they're able to survive with fewer CDI staff during this time, not recognizing that it may be that there's a homogeneous population that they're seeing right now, it might falsely make them confident that they could make some changes in how they structure their CDI department. So I really hope that any kind of leadership would wait until the end of this pandemic or at least until the the waves have subsided to take a long-term look at how do you move forward with your CDI department And what other ways can you use your CDI staff going forward to um, help recuperate some of the financial losses that we expect to see in the healthcare industry? Yeah, and I'll add to that, Cheryl, as well. You know, uh, due to the pandemic, we're having um, to utilize telehealth a lot and um, or more frequently than we used before. And that is definitely going to be a lot in the ambulatory environment as well. And one of the things that I see in the future is just providing CDI and outpatient policies and programs in an ambulatory setting. Uh, clearly, uh, in a state of an emergency, it uh, puts a lot of demands on business as usual, I guess you could say. Has the crisis led to specific policy and procedure changes for your organizations? I'm going to let Beth answer that question because I, I don't have policies and procedures that would directly affect clients. So, right, and you know, just the normal. Um, we don't have any specific policies at this time outside of a, what I would I would think that everyone would be exercising as far as no travel, no traveling internationally, um, no visiting of hospitals, which is a, a, a huge part of um, what we do. And so just to keep it simplified, um, we have not changed any type of procedures outside of travel procedures and and how we interact with the providers as far as being you know in their environment. I guess one big change that I've seen, if I think about it, is the increase in remote CDI work. And I think it's going to be hard once you send your CDIs home to bring them back to the office again. It's kind of funny, depending on your personality, some people thrive in that remote environment um, while others are craving to get back into the office. So I think there'll be a lot more arguments to continue remote CDI work if it hasn't been done um, previously, especially if they can continue to maintain their provider response rates and provider agreement rates and the educational commitments to the providers. I definitely agree with that, Cheryl. So have you performed any data analysis related to COVID-19? So working for a technology company, we have a lot of advantages that maybe individual organizations may not have. And one of the things that we do is use artificial intelligence to make predictions um, about conditions and whether or not there might be query opportunities based on that. Um, Where I'm going with this is because we have uh, over 20,000 records with COVID patients, we're able to create reports that are helping to support beyond the CDI space but also support providers, nursing leadership, um, physician leadership, people like that to help determine which patients are more likely to need a ventilator or an ICU setting within the next 24 hours. So we're looking at different ways that we can leverage our uh, analytical tools, our um, artificial intelligence to help support beyond the CDI realm. And so that's very exciting for us as an organization and also hopefully exciting for the industry as we continue to push in these new directions. 
And, um, you know, for us being a technology company, the same way um, with Cheryl's company, um, we are also focusing on um, doing analysis on uh, telehealth and the documentation around telehealth. And, and if we're seeing an uh, increase in telehealth and how we're seeing that increase and, and it's going to be uh, geared more towards your um, outpatient settings. I don't have any uh, additional information on statistics as far as the COVID-19 itself and the analysis that we, we may be doing to provide that to the um, CDI team and the, hosp- and, and the providers. Uh, what lessons or techniques or strategies have you learned that you'd like to share with uh, our listeners or other pieces of advice that you think might help them? I think this has been a good opportunity for us to further embrace uh, electronic medical records. Um, I've been in CDI long enough when we used to have to walk around to paper charts and everybody was assigned unit-based. This is an opportunity for us to leverage technology, which means rather than being unit-based, um, maybe it's better that you everybody is more um, generalized in the sense that they're not tied to one particular unit or one particular service, because with an electronic record, you don't have to be limited geographically, so you don't have to stay to the sixth floor, which might be oncology or something like that. Um, so I think this is a great opportunity to broaden your skills as a CDI professional across different specialties to cross-train. I think also, again, the implications of working remotely helps us to um, expand our communication skills because we don't have those verbal cues. Well, I mean, we have those verbal cues, but we don't have those nonverbal cues that we used to have in um, body language as you can't see right now, but I'm talking with my hands. So it's those types of things that we're having to learn how to communicate differently. And in particular, how to communicate differently with um, coding staff, if you're a CDI professional, as well as the physicians, how do you continue to engage your physician team? How do you continue to get your queries responded to? And how do you continue to educate your physician? So there's a lot of challenges, I think, that we're going to be addressing during this time frame. That's just going to make us stronger as a profession. And I definitely agree with that, Cheryl. The building relationships, as you said, the CDI um, with the coding team, those teams work together all for the same purpose. And during this time of work of working virtually, I think it is a great opportunity to help build that relationship and knowledge to cross-train, as you said, from CDI to coding and coding the CDI, and also help with when we are providing our education and tools to the providers that we'll be able to bring it from a more focused group of having the expertise of both coding and CDI. And and so I definitely think this is gonna be a great way to build relationships. Now, I usually like to close uh, with this question. Is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I had asked? I think, Dan, that these questions are dead on to where we are um, in the healthcare industry. I think it definitely gives people a, a, a little peek at where things are now and where we um, expect them to go in the future. But as Cheryl said earlier, we're still very uncertain about how things are going. And there are still a lot of numbers being ran, analysis being ran, and research being done on COVID-19 itself. And um, I would just say to all the CDI and coders out there who maybe experiencing a a lack of work during this time to continue to educate yourselves in in the background of CDI and coding. And I I think this is just a a new way for us all and continue to be um, adaptable. Yeah, I agree with Beth that this is a great opportunity to um, increase your education and knowledge around COVID and other things. I guess the other thing I, I would stress is that whenever I go to industry meetings, it's always great to see the amount of collaboration that we have in 
the CDI profession and HIM profession. And I would just encourage that um, sharing of lessons learned, especially for those who are in the thick of it right now and experiencing their peaks and hopefully coming on the downside of their slopes to share their experiences and lessons learned with those who've yet to reach their peaks so that when we work together, we're a lot stronger as an organization, as a profession, and um, just keep sharing and supporting each other. Once again, our guests today were Beth Martin and Cheryl Erickson, two CDI experts, and we were talking about CDI and COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you, Dan. And thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to High Pitch, the HEMA podcast, produced by the American Health Information Management Association. Please subscribe or visit us at hema.org slash pod for updates on future shows. Thank you for listening.